I like the people behind the image, you know. I create the iconic images, hopefully, but the people are what really interest me. I have a sixth sense when I take photographs now and, and when I direct of how someone's feeling. And photography is a weird thing. It's like every day you're capturing a moment and that moment you'll want to last forever. Pressing click isn't enough. It's not what photography is. Rankin is arguably Britain's most successful export to the fashion industry and one of the world's leading photographers. A portfolio of the most recognisable names in the universe, four celebrated publications, the most famous portrait photographer probably in the world, and a director. Rankin is known... Oh, and a director. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as an aside. As an aside, yeah. uh, I Rankin... think Stella McCartney might have something to say about the biggest, the greatest export to the fashion industry yeah, from the UK, and Vivian Westwood as well. This is true, but we wrote it. Okay, that's so, good. So, you know, it's okay. <laughs> if, they're, if they're listening, then uh, no, we apologise. No, they're not, not going to be listening. Yeah, we apologise for our artistic licence. Uh, Rankin is known for his phenomenal work ethic, his charitable pursuits within fashion, and his fearlessness when creating art. Rankin made his name in publishing, founding the seminal monthly magazine Dazed and Confused with Jefferson Hack in 1992. It's responsible for bringing some of the biggest names in fashion to the forefront and is known as being the designer's publication of choice. Dazed and Confused has now progressed into Dazed Media, which in itself is a brand synonymous with culture and leading fashion. 40 books published, is that correct? I think it might be a few more, but... All right, let's just say... I don't count anymore. Yeah, let's say 51 and pretend it's the same as there I are I think states. it might be about 51. There we yeah. go. 51 books published and exhibitions globally, as well as still creating work for his own London gallery. It's a wonder that Rankin has time to devote himself to any other project, let alone sitting down with us today. One would excuse him from expecting more. However, he's also known for his affiliation with charities and he travels the world creating campaigns for the likes of Comet Relief, Women's Aid and Macmillan Cancer Support. Rankin has captured icons, unveiled some of the hottest directing talent in the industry and is respected worldwide for being the ultimate visionary. However, he's not just a celebrity photographer. In fact, he's known for being passionate about photographing real women of all sizes and shapes. Real people. Real people. <laughs> not just women. Of all sizes, shapes and... Just real people, yeah. Just real people. He even went out of his way to create campaigns that would demonstrate the absurdity of the modern use of Photoshop, risking a magazine cover by using a lookalike of Michael Jackson to show how altered images really can be. So, enough of the bit that you hate, the fanfare, and on to the main event. So it is our pleasure to be sitting with him today to delve deep into what makes Rankin Tech. So... Hello. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, all right. Good. It's funny actually talking about Days because I don't think people will know that I still own part of Dazed and the Days Media Group. So it's nice to hear it mentioned because obviously I don't do the day to day. I'm just on the board now, but that was our baby. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, your baby is your baby forever. Yeah, it is. It must be awesome watching that grow. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful to kind of see it go from this thing that we handed out in Old Compton Street to three million plus uniques. A month, yeah. And have such a, a powerful impact even now on on culture. Yeah, well, we'll come on to Dazed very shortly because you seem, you seem warm. I've heard rumours that you wake up at 5am pretty much every day and it's 11 o'clock. So That's true. Basically, yeah. straight through halfway through the day for you. So you're presumably pretty warmed up. But just a very quick fire round of okay. questions for you. University academia or university of life? Both, really. I love personally going to college and I always recommend everybody goes to college because it gives you time to develop where you think you are as a human being. But I think I've learned more in life than I learned at college. And I was very privileged to go to a really good college. But at the same time, I think if I'm honest with myself, life has been a bigger education for me sure i guess you spend longer in it as well than yes. three years especially my age <laughs> which we won't disclose <laughs> no, but no. it's definitely in his 30s <laughs> london or new york london 100 percent. studio or gallery oh studio early bird or night owl early bird for profit or non-profit non-profit Okay, you're trapped on a desert island and can bring three things. And don't worry, I've read enough about you to know that one of the answers would probably be your wife. So just assume she's there. <laughs> I would say go and listen to my desert island discs and find that out. Fair enough. Because it's a good one. Yeah. Very few people get to do desert island discs. So I feel very privileged, even though it's very tough to do it. Mm. Okay. Um, introvert or extrovert or a bit of both? Extrovert 
in the studio, introvert, not in the studio. Most inspirational person in the world to you? My wife. Of course. My son as well is very inspirational, especially now because he's really challenging a lot of the things that I do and think. So he's very inspiring. Awesome. Who's your favourite photographer? Bailey. Bailey by a mile because I know him and he was my hero when I was growing up and as a photographer and he didn't disappoint me he he I met him and they say don't meet your heroes and I've met a few that haven't disappointed me and that's one of his pictures that I look at every day and it still doesn't it doesn't disappoint me it's an incredible picture Mm. finally publisher photographer director philanthropist what do you associate most with nowadays um that's a good question because i find it difficult to think of myself as anything but a photographer because i think that's what i started doing and i wanted to be um, recognized as that and you know achieve what i wanted in that area and i did and i still come back to that and where am i and what am i doing and am i any good and i still that's still in my head so i can't really help help it even though i probably enjoy the change between doing one thing and another every day i get very bored very easily so that's why i think i do lots more fair enough now we don't often get the privilege of working directly in someone's office and (laughs) maybe people come to you you mean (laughs) so well you know if you want to know a funny fact so we were just analyzing this you know we say that we like to go to royalty so um we have (laughs) been to prince andrew he was like i won't come to you but if you come to buckingham palace we can do it there so we went there mad isn't it buckingham palace not bad it's like i always describe it like going to really old and very very traditional hotel it's got the same atmosphere as a really like a brighton people sort of just waiting on you everywhere and it's so strange because you feel like it's not modern in any way and it's almost kind of past its sell-by date in some ways but but you're at Buckingham palace so you kind of precisely fair enough okay so moving on from glasgow as i understand it Definitely lost the Scottish accent, by the I way, and especially for me, a Glaswegian. If you want me to do it, I can do it. Go no on. problem. I was just doing it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, what's you, what are you saying? Come on then, okay, ask so me a question. From Glasgow to Yorkshire to St Albans, your childhood doesn't necessarily make for the path of a decorated photographer. So was it inspiration or a mentor that took you on your journey? And when did you discover what it was you wanted to work for in Glaswegian, please? Uh, just this question. Right. That'll be really hard. <laughs> okay. Uh, a lot of, lot of questions in there. I won't be able to keep up Scottish. I can do it when, when I'm not being recorded. Okay, fair enough. Um, we'll let you off. What can, what can I say? I was from a working class family, so my parents were working class, did good. We moved to Yorkshire because my, my dad got a promotion and he was very keen to move out of Glasgow because he felt that that would be restrictive for, for me and for my sister. So we moved first to Yorkshire to a place called Thirsk, which is a really small kind of town, which is very famous because James Herriot lived there. And from there, we moved to St Albans because I got another promotion. So we really followed my dad's work. And I think when I got to St Albans, that was when I really kind of started to question what I was doing and why I was being sort of put into a a route that everybody else was. So my dad was really helpful in trying to get me into college. And because I was quite good at maths and physics and stuff, we started to do accountancy look at accountancy as a business for me. At the same time, I was going out with this girl that was doing fashion, and then I started going out with a girl that wanted to act. And they started to question me and say, well, you're not, this is not what you're interested in as much as what I'm doing. And I think that by the time I went to do my first year at Brighton, which was to do accountancy, I was primed, ready to question everything. Literally got into the Halls Residence in Brighton and... Everybody in my hall's residence was doing art or architecture or interior design. And apart from one person who didn't speak to anyone. And all of these people were really questioning me and saying, you know, why are you doing this? Do you know about this? Do you know about feminism? Do you know about certain types of art? And I was like, no, I don't. And immediately, almost like within the first term, I was like, I don't think I should be doing this. And went back at Christmas to my hometown and started to say to my parents, I think I'm on the wrong course. 
And that was a big, big thing. My dad didn't talk to me for about a year, which was quite strange because I had to go back and live at home from June. and <laughs> didn't have any money, had to get a job, started working as a cleaner, worked as a, a theatre porter and spent a year literally absorbing photography and that was the only thing I thought I could do because it was technical a little bit technical so I thought well I can get my head around that and that year was an amazing time for me because I I changed my whole worldview and in changing that I really really set myself up for the future because I really did have to because photography was really expensive that's what people nowadays they're like everything's digital and you can do it on your phone so it's fairly cheap to do but back then to buy film and to buy cameras to process film to do contact sheets to do prints was really expensive for a student and so you had to work so even in my first year where I went to a college called Barnfield in Luton almost go back because I went back and did like an OND in photography or a national diploma in photography which is like doing A-levels so every night I had to work as a cinema usher to earn enough money to pay for film and processing and all that sort of stuff. And it, and it really, that work ethic was weird to me. It was almost like I had a real reason for living, I suppose, for wanting to achieve. And I just got so obsessive about it that I just worked my butt off. And um, and then I got into the London College Printing and then, and then that was it. I was on my way. And then my dad started talking to me again. It was brilliant because he didn't talk to me probably for about a year and two or three months. Didn't really, didn't really kind of have anything to do with me, wouldn't... So he just disapproved? Disapproved massively. And then he came to my final show at Barnfield, which is like, it was a two-year course, so I left after a year. He came to the, the, the end of year thing, which, you know, all your parents come to, and he stood by my work for the whole evening, and I was very proud of it, and... We got in the car to drive home, and he said, "You're going to do. Re- you're going to either do really, really well, or you're you're going to fail miserably. But I think you do really well because your work is like so marmite to people. It's either people really loved it or people really hated it. And he said that's what you need to be successful creatively. And it was very insightful of this dude who had never really had any, you know, left school at 15, no education." No formal training, no understanding of arts. Mm. So I came from a completely unartistic background. And then once I got photography, to answer your question in a very roundabout way, once I found photography, that was it. Boom, I was in. And it was like, I never, ever stopped. And is that where you met Jefferson Hack? Yeah, so I met Jefferson when I became the communications... Oh, no, I wasn't even the communications. Communications was my second term as a student unionist. My first time I was a campaigns officer because this communication was taken. So we were looking for writers and we were in Back Hill and all the writers were in Back Hill. Lots of the journalism students were in Back Hill or, or, or in Elephant Castle. So we put up posters in all of the journalism classrooms saying writers wanted for student magazine and he was the only person that turned up jefferson was the only person that turned up incredible so well just describe the early days in that so you've met jefferson you know haven't got the exact job that you want but you have some kind of idea of where the direction of where you're going is Mm. and obviously a keen interest in photography so what was the light bulb moment between jefferson and i i think we were probably friends first it's hard it's hard to remember because we we didn't have like a a work-life balance. It was like they were they were all the same thing. And the more we got into Dazed and Confused and what we were doing as a magazine, the more it overlapped because we were basically going to nightclubs to meet people to put in the magazine. So, And we earned money. That's how we earned money, by doing nightclubs. Mm. So we did a couple of nights as one-offs and then we did a regular Saturday night where we, we tried to replicate a club that we'd been really inspired by in probably the early 90 and uh, into 91. And that's when we really kind of became like our whole, our whole world was nightclubs. And how long was it, you know, you started Dazed and Confused in 1991. So how yeah. long were you two working together, building up that what became an empire, essentially? We'd been working from 89 as editor stroke creative director 
And then we had a guy called Ian Taylor, who was a graphic designer. And we were that the three of us were the kind of core of it. And then we had a few other photography friends. So from 89 to 91, we were really like starting to find our feet and desktop publishing had just been invented. So we're using Apple and we were, we were, we were able to produce things fairly cheaply and quite economically for us who were all earning money from nightclubs. And I think that when we really realized that we had something that people were interested was probably 92, late 92, 93, because we'd be just giving it away initially. It was a poster magazine at the start as well. So it was all about, we wanted it to be an open access magazine. We wanted to, we almost took what Andy Warhol was doing with Interview and open access TV in America. And we really wanted to do video as well at the beginning. And I think that once we became a proper stitched A4 type magazine, that was when we were like, oh, people seem to like this. Also, we got a lot of bad press for being kind of young usurpers. Who do they think they are? All style, no content, that type of thing. That's when we realised, oh, people hate us. Yeah, that's good. And that's good. You know, that means that we're really starting to have a little bit of a reputation mm. for being somebody that we're interested in. And I guess the first time we realised, oh, we're on to something here was when we used to distribute our magazine through a shop called Sign of the Times, which was a, in Covent Garden. It was like a clothes shop run by an amazing woman called Fiona Cartledge. And Bjork used to go in there and Bjork asked if I would do a press session for her off the back of seeing the magazine. So when I did that first press session, that was probably my first big photo shoot. And I remember I got paid £1,500 for the fee and expenses on top. And I was like, I'm in, that's it. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Did you call your dad up? I think I did actually, yeah. Doing that shoot really led on to lots of other jobs for me as a photographer. And then she was in the magazine and then Kylie Minogue's record company phoned us up, a guy called David Joseph, who's now runs most of the record companies actually in the UK. He asked me to do Kylie Minogue doing a press session. And from there on in, it was we, 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 was, we were doing really, really, really well. And what was it like in the early days with these kind of celebrities? I mean, obviously you work with celebrities so much now, you're probably incredibly comfortable around the whole concept. But mm. at the time with someone like Kylie Minogue, yeah. who, you know, in the early 90s, especially, you know, was blowing up. Yeah. Did you feel nervous? Were you completely casual? Were you really confident? What was your attitude towards working with these people? It's really hard to remember. I don't I don't remember being intimidated because I was brought up in Glasgow for 10 years, so you just aren't yeah, intimidated enough. by anybody, really. And I think that I was... My dad used to say, you, you know, if you're born in Glasgow, you, you're born with an attitude, and in England they send you to public school to get it. And I always thought that was quite a funny comparison, and I just was really cocky. I was too cocky, really if I'm honest, but it didn't make me nervous. Creatively, when I did the first Bjork shoot, I was definitely trying out lots of other things I'd seen by other photographers, and I was really nervous of that. She didn't choose any of those. She chose the pictures that were my pictures and that were, were, were the way that I saw her, and that was a really amazing learning curve, actually, working with her for the first time, because my insecurity creatively was like, oh, I better do a bit of Jürgen Teller and I better shoot a bit like David Sims or, or Glenn Lutchford, who were kind of heroes for me at that time. And none of those pictures got used. And she used the pictures that were purely the way I saw her. That was amazing. But I don't remember being nervous of her. I don't remember being nervous of anybody. The Queen I was nervous of. Yeah. Oh, I think Madonna. Reasonable. Madonna and the Queen were the two people that have made me nervous for about five seconds. What was Madonna like? Funny. Yeah. Really funny, yeah. She's got... But as funny as the Queen, because the Queen is The Queen's is really, really funny, funny yeah. yeah. The bo both of them were really funny, and both of them make you feel not relaxed, but make you feel confident. You know, they're very used to people being nervous around them. I remember I went to dinner with Madonna once, and I was obsessed by how many people wanted to speak to her. It was, it was, it was just... I can't imagine. Yeah. And I've never, I've never really wanted that recognition. It, I've been close to it and it's just not something that I'm drawn to or 
have enjoyed or understand me. I don't understand why people... And I do it. You know, see someone in an airport and you go, do you see, you know, everybody does it. And it's it's a bit... Um, it's a weird thing because you kind of get a bit of a kick out of it. It's a short people, dopamine hat. Yeah. Well, you get a bit... It's a bit like Instagram, actually. You get a little bit of a kick out of it, but it doesn't sustain. And, and the people that base their life or career on that have very, I think, have very depressing life. So... And most famous people have part of that within their life. And I'd never want to be, be that or have that. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. I wanted to know, like, did you always have this philanthropic attitude towards giving back? Was that always deep rooted in you? Or is it something where um, you had this moment when it all just clicked and you realised that that wasn't fulfilling you? Mm. I think I always had the propensity to want to give back right from the beginning. Because once I started to do well, I realised that that, was disproportionate to what other people were getting from life. So, and I mean more in terms of fees and I just couldn't believe, I guess like probably by the age of 31, I would have been earning more a year than my dad did, you know, what he he was earning his highest amount. And I remember I did one job. I did a free shoot for the big issue because I just thought I should be shooting for these guys. And I did the shoot and then they used the pictures and then the, the band came back and said, can we buy these pictures? And I got more in that one buyout that my dad would earn in a year. And I suddenly realised this is disproportionate to the rest of the world. And if you're smart, you'll keep it real by balancing it for yourself, actually. And actually, weirdly, I think that a lot of charity is for yourself, giving the is for yourself. Altruism, there is no real concept there of is, it. Yeah, I don't... I did something the other day, actually, and I shot for the British Red Cross on Friday, and the British Red Cross are an incredible organisation. What they do is train people to basically go into situations where there isn't any help. So, like, at Grenfell, there was loads of people at the British Red Cross. All of the terror attacks, the British Red Cross turn up. They just do brilliant things, and they're, they're trained, they're volunteers. And I met these two, a guy called Derek and Marilyn, who are a couple on Friday. They must be in their 60s. And they were like, why do you do this? And I said, well, why do you why do you do it? I This is... I love 
taking photos and making films and it's really easy and they and they and they both just say well you know we want to give back and it's really in a selfish way we get so much out of it and everyone you meet that does that type of thing says that same thing yeah, that they are just happiest doing that they that that's where they get so much back from doing it you and you just do you know you're communicating with people you meet people it's it's a brilliant it's brilliant yeah. i don't i don't understand why people don't do it yeah and what was your proudest moment probably well having a kid is really proud so i'm really proud of him more probably than anything else but he's very much his own person now so that pride becomes pride for that person as opposed to you know having been the father of that person um professionally professionally probably building the building was a what big I was a see big, a little glint in your yeah. eye like as you were talking about the building which is... i find out today if i get another building we find out we exchanged on friday and we're waiting to find out if he's accepted the money in where in Stratford. I've bought another one, hopefully, fingers crossed, and then I'm trying to buy another one as well because I really, you get a lot out of building something. It mm. feels, you feel fulfilled. And then probably my lowest moment, although I very rarely get low, I have dark days. I think most people have dark days, but I have quite dark, self-reflective days, never about work, more about me as a person. Purpose. Yeah, am I, you know, what have I achieved, that type of stuff. I think most people do that. But my probably worst moment was when I got sacked with my directing partner from the Bronson film, because we were supposed to direct the Bronson film, that Nicholas went on to direct, and he then went on to get an Oscar for the film he did after that. So that that still bites at me a little bit because we did a lot of work on it we cast tom hardy in it oh, wow. chris chris cotton and i we did a lot of work on it and we just got sidestepped which is life in that business well taking you to a slightly happier moment in your life yeah so i guess everyone we've already touched on it but everyone likes to talk to you about photographing the greats yeah so as we mentioned you've done the queen you've done kylie minogue you've done kate moss david bowie who's your favorite potentially miss piggy <laughs> I like Miss Piggy a lot, actually. That was a real moment, photographing the Muppets and filming the Muppets, because directing comedy is very, very hard to do. People always talk about drama, but directing comedy, I think, is the hardest, as a director, for me, anyway. And that was amazing, directing proper, serious, like, royalty and comedy. You know, Bowie was amazing. You two were incredible when I first got to work with them because it was such a... They were so charming. I mean, I, I like the people behind the the image, you know. I create the image, the iconic images, but the people are what really interests me. And I did this thing called Ranking Live where I photographed like 1,800 people in the space of three months. I have a sixth sense when I take photographs now and, and when I direct of how someone's feeling. I call it setiquette um, and knowing what's going on on set and... I've got a real sixth sense and I just can feel someone's not into it. So I, I'm unfortunately very led by that. If I could photograph somebody that I photographed 10 times and the minute they walk in, I can feel if they're into being there or not. And photography is a weird thing. It's like every day you're capturing a moment and that moment you want to last for, forever. So you want it to become historical. So you live in that. And every photographer I know will, if you say, what's the best photograph you've ever taken they'll say the next one all the best photographers and that's your answer as well yeah i'd say yeah unfortunately it's like you fall in love with people that you photograph for those moments you photograph them and and even film which is very different the making a film is very almost opposite to making photographs because you're piecing photographs together to create a story and that's so much harder than capturing a single image but you're still having to create those moments of realism or something that's that's palpable. You know, you're ex- you're exchanging something so that when you look at it, you as a viewer can feel that exchange or that moment. 
So, I mean, we're talking, as you would imagine and hope, a lot about photography right yeah. now. So this is a perfect point to actually talk about something that you touched on earlier. Yeah. So, you know, photography disruption, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Obviously, invention of smartphones, the Instagram camera quality, just getting incredible on these small devices. So where do you sit on the topic around the accessibility of photography and the concept of what quality photography is? Do you think your art has been devalued somewhat? I'm quite optimistic about smartphones and photography because I think that although I do feel that there is a, a lessening in let's say understanding of quality photography there's still an appreciation that comes with it so where some people think they're now photographers using a smartphone pressing click we always joke in here you've got to press click that's there when they're saying you've got to go and do, you got to go and do the business, and pressing click isn't isn't enough. It's not that's not what photography is. But the fact that more people are looking at it and talking about it and being involved in it is exciting. However, I think social media is very dangerous for all communication because. I'm very much of the opinion that we are children. Well, children have become adults in a world where adults are controlling our way of communicating with each other. And I think it's very, very, very dangerous and quite scary. And I'm very much a believer in the digital age because I just think, what's the point of looking back, look forward? I hate these kids that are 24, 25, shooting on analogue and talking about the, 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 the quality of analogue and how much it means to them because it's really just... Analogue is really just a way of controlling the way that you take pictures because no-one else can see it. So if you take that picture and no-one else can look through the lens you know, then you control it, which I understand, but then they go on about quality and I'm like, that's bullshit. You know that quality in digital is so extreme now and you can get anywhere near the same number of colours in what, you know, what you're reproducing. Because everyone reproduces, like when you look at it on a phone, it's reproduced, or on a computer, it's reproduced. So, yes, maybe you can get more colours in analogue, but the actual digital reproduction of it reduces them to the same as digital. So yeah. what are you talking about? So you are a fan of the, uh, of, of, I guess, the in, like, intense growth of yeah, uh, I'm photography a fan of it. globally. I'm a fan of it because I think that it will lead to incredible creatives coming through and ways of saying things and shooting things are changing and shifting. And I think um, I think that the Me Too movement has got a lot to do with with digital photography and communicating things very quickly. I mean, actually, I had and a it's question. impressive. It's impressive. I actually have a question on the on the Me Too movement. I think it's really interesting. So obviously you photograph a lot around the theme of sexuality. Yeah. And you actually have obviously an impeccable professional reputation in this area. But obviously there was reports recently of artists such as Mario Testino coming out. And I guess the question is, how does stuff like that affect or impact artists like yourself? Do you think that it's going to have an impact long term on the professional relationship between artists and their muses? As in... I hope so. You, you hope so? Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. I mean, does it, does it not... Does it not cause um, some level of concern that the relationship needs to adapt and change from everything that you've done in the past to how you might have to communicate in the future? I think that I think for one, I'm really glad that it's happened because I think that any kind of set of rules or guidelines around how you interact with people in a professional way is is really important, and I think that our industry has right from the beginning of of model agencies being involved in in the representation of young kids and all of those stories that you heard about in the in the 70s 80s probably the early 90s about how model agencies worked and how models uh, are treated i've done a lot of a lot of my work originally was was parodying some of that stuff yeah i did something called livestock which was about how models are treated like livestock and those types of things. But I think, um, honestly, like, I think it's really important that that these issues have been brought to light. And I think that the industry's 
seems to be dealing with them really well and trying to change all the rules. And it's really great to hear stuff like that coming from the big companies as well as the big publications. And personally, I've always had a professional relationship with model. I think when you look through a lens, you know, the thing is, is that a model looks through the lens at you and there is this feeling and they're invoking this feeling of desire, but it's not real. And it's like I always say, look through the camera, look at the camera. Don't, it's not you never. I never talk about me, because you've got to separate yourself from the me and the camera, because they're not looking at you. Mm. They're looking at the person that is going to look at the picture, and there's an immediate like separation. So if they feel comfortable doing that, then they can do it without, I don't know, feeling weird or feeling creeped out or. So that's always been my yeah, approach to it. Level. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. It's like I've always had that approach. And doesn't mean you don't flirt or you don't say stuff or you don't talk in a certain way because you're trying to make you're trying to like whenever you take any photograph, you're trying really hard to make someone give you something. Whatever that is, whether it's a sexuality or sexiness or it's uh, a, a, a rev something revealing if it's a portrait and I've always if you look at all my work I, I always refer to my work as portraiture I very rarely talk about fashion because I'm doing a book latest year it's called unfashionable because I've never felt part of that industry or very comfortable within it I've always questioned it and all my nude neurotic stuff is always always about portraiture so it's portraits without clothes portraits with clothes that's a difference. So you're always trying to get someone to give you something and make you feel something when you look at the photograph. Now, that doesn't mean they're looking at you. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. And, yeah, I've had relationships with people I've photographed. And I think that taking the photograph has started that. But it's like any job, the people you meet at work, you end up having relationships with or you if, if you don't then you're very different you know you're very unique kind of saintly person it's like that's what happens so to answer your question I think that it's good to have rules I've always had the rule of not touching models and now that those rules are coming I think I think it's a really good thing really mm. positive thing we interrupt this episode to invite you to enjoy a moment of calm. I'm Tamara Levitt, the writer and narrator of the meditations in the Calm app. Amidst the chaos and busyness of life, it's so important to pause. The calm and clarity we gain through meditation is an essential part of what makes a great leader. So take a moment now to close your eyes and bring your attention to your breath, inhaling deeply and exhaling slowly. Feel your lungs expanding and contracting. And as you take this next breath, Feel your whole body relax. And then, when you're ready, open your eyes. To learn more about the Calm app, visit calm.com slash secretleaders for a one-month trial. And now, back to today's guest. So speaking about, you know, being in your office as we are being in your uh, place of work where people come to you for these like amazing experiences, you know, question that we always ask our guests, you know, are you conscious of how you are as an employer? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I've become really conscious of it because this business has grown much bigger in the last five years. And I think where I used to kind of feel of people as a family um, now it's like a much bigger family and you have to have lots more rules uh, about how 
people are treated and you, it's just it just becomes impossible to run a business mm. over i guess 25 people and and be able to sort it out over a coffee or a drink you need to have hr you need to have responsibility and that has motivated me to employ a, an hr like talent uh, person within the business and 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 I always I always resisted it I was like why do we need HR we can sort this stuff out the minute I got someone I was like hallelujah like it was the most amazing like oh now I get why you have it and I think in doing that I've always I've also like the first person that came in that really persuaded me to get um HR is a guy called Andy and um he also said, I think you should get some coaching, life coaching, which is kind of like therapy. That and HR were like two massive, like green light bulb so moments. So on the personal development Ooh, front, like, you've, that's been a recent development. Yeah, for you. like three years for the life, I think for both actually, yeah, three or four years. And in that time, I would say I've gone from being a really shit boss to being a really quite good boss. Well, on that note, Obviously, entrepreneurs often state that being aware of their weaknesses and strengths makes them stronger and better. So do you feel like you've increasingly become aware of your weaknesses? Oh, yeah, 100%. Care to share any of them with us? Um, yes. I think probably my biggest weakness is that I have a problem with my perspective on the company. I always feel like I don't understand why people can't see it from my perspective. And it took at least a year of talking to somebody every two or three weeks to make me understand that not everyone sees the world from the same perspective. And I don't mean from my perspective. I just had an assumption that everybody wanted the same thing. And it took me a long time to realise that actually people have different motivations. You know, they have different ways of dealing with things. They sit on, let's say, the scale in a different way you know like some people want more of a work a life work balance some people want a work life I always just thought well if you're in, in the creative industries you're so privileged and you just want to you just want to be successful and um so then therefore you kind of live to a sort of bit of a higher standard mm. and it took me a long time to realize that people are on different have different approaches do you believe in a work-life balance I do more now because I mean what do you do to unwind I walk my dogs and read books, run. I do things that are quite, try and be quite physical because I don't get to be physical. And as you get older, what I do is a very physical job. So if you don't try and look after yourself in some way, then, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to do my job. So definitely walking the dogs is a ma like reading and, and reading self-help books and reading novels and things like that is a brilliant way for me to stop and also not working at the weekends, which is something that I've... That must be tough. That must it, be a transition, it, ha, yeah. it, it is tough, but now I kind of find myself wanting three-day weekends because I'm like, actually, when I think, I sit and think more than it's much, much better for me. Mm. Okay, we're going to wrap up now. So just a couple of questions, really. Firstly, who's left? Who haven't you worked with that you'd love to tick off your list and obviously... We don't necessarily count on that. We're very flattered. Thank you. But, you know, <laughs> anyone else? Um, there's always people that you, you, you'd you love to photograph. I'd love to photograph Sean Penn. You know, I'd have loved to photograph Nelson Mandela. I would love to photograph um, Obama. Like, I would love to photograph him. The, the people like that. But I don't... I've never really gone into this part of the business with those... Aims. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I don't have a list and 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 actively try and 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 chase them. I don't know why I don't do that. I really can't answer that. Have you ever thought? Because uh, listening to you talking, you've got all these different themes of people that you're interested in interviewing. Yeah. Have you actually ever considered the theme of entrepreneurs and business leaders as like a theme itself? You know, these are um, quite diverse people, but there's a lot of common threads throughout them. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I find them interesting, definitely, but I'm more interested in talking to people than I think photographing them because photographing people that are famous is interesting inherently because you can, a lot of the time, be able to show them in a way they've never been seen before. So, I mean, although I'm very 
bored of celebrity. I don't, I don't, I don't find it interesting anymore. But as a photographer, there are certain celebrities that you like the Sean Penns of the world that you're drawn to. So if you get an opportunity to photograph them, like I photographed Alicia Vikander a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, I photographed that, that Sergei Polnianin guy, who's absolutely like amazing. To see him dance and to capture that is, you know, physically palpable. You know, you f- you feel something. Um, so there are certain people like that. The, and I get the opportunity to do that, but I find myself really drawn to doing projects. And if I'm honest, like I, I think that 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 makes me want to do stuff that I've never, I would never get access to. Like I, I'd love to do a photograph, a series of photographs of of the world. You know, like of say a person from every country that are all the same age and just get that ability to look at the world in a room that 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 kind of thing interests mm. me or you know people with extreme physical disabilities interest me like especially if it's happened from something like a fire or a, an accident i just find those kind of physically those people really beautiful and i just am drawn to making those sorts of people look iconic so so the and I don't I don't want to say they're mundane but like they get enough airtime I think people that people that you you you're interested in interviewing because they're not the kind of extremes of society that I tend to be drawn to mm. if I was to do an, my, a solo project I don't know why but and that's why it's the same with celebrity I'm not I could of course I could aim for Obama I could work to, I could write him letters I could really probably get to photograph him if I wanted to but for me there's something about serendipity I don't know why I really can't answer that question but when I do my own personal projects I always tend to deal with something to do with beauty something to do with a lot to do with photography, actually. It becomes about photography. Mm. It's like, how, do the, how does the world see someone and how can I change that? So I kind of almost find it too easy, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, that's fair enough. I guess my next question... And it's difficult at the moment because the world is a really... It's a changed... We're in a changed world. Um, it is very, very different to how it was five years ago. And it's going to be even more different in five years because this, this, this technology and AI and robotics and all of these things are just going to get more and more, more sophisticated and we're going to have more problems from it. Trump fascinates me, though. I'm absolutely fascinated by Trump. I think he is a true enigma in many ways. Yeah, I'm fascinated by him, um, especially what's going on at the moment. But... Yeah, stuff stuff like that. I, I I love to photograph baddies as well, like because, like Putin, I'd love to photograph. They're just they're just the 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 idea of getting to be one on one with something like that is is oh yeah is really exciting to me for some reason. I think that's quite rational. <laughs> Ra- rationally irrational. Yeah. Um, but if you weren't a photographer, what would you be? I'd be a businessman. Yeah, yeah. I'd be an entrepreneur of, in some description because I'm always looking at the world through how I can change it or do something to make it different um so it would probably be magazines or websites now um so I'd probably be helping run the dazed empire if I wasn't doing it yeah and finally a self-confessed film fanatic so what's your favorite film of all time too many to mention. We'll just name some then. I didn't think you'd have one. To be um, fair. It's funny because I've been looking at my favourite films to re-watch recently and definitely The Godfather is up there. Uh, Goodfellas is up there. Um, I just watched The Insider again, which is an incredible mm, film. Great film. I always find myself wanting to watch films where people are trying to change the world. So I guess I'm drawn to that in, in their own personal worlds or... I, I love conf, I love that kind of conflict, mm. but yeah, there are so many. I lo- I really love I love filmmakers actually. Like I love I love Michael Mann. I think he's incredible. I love Oliver Stone. Um, I love Francis Ford Coppola. So you definitely like the gangster. Yeah, the gangster but I love theme. Ken Loach. I love Ken Loach. I love I just love people that can tell great stories. I would love to be a great filmmaker, but I don't think I will be yet. 
No, not a film, not, you know, commercials maker, like short form, I think I'm getting pretty good at, uh, or I am pretty good at, but the the feature film is a whole different mm. kettle of fish. And I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm ready to try it again, but I don't, I don't know if I've got it. I don't know if I'm that guy. Okay. And I wish then... I was, I wish I was that guy because I love it, but. So last question now, I uh, just want to know what is the best piece of advice you could offer to our listeners, anyone that's heard this interview today? Wow, that's always so hard for me. I find I think with, with photography, people that want to be photographers, I think the, the best piece of advice I can always give you is take photographs. Don't talk about it. So many people talk about it and actually just trying to do it is much more important because you just learn so much from taking pictures and then for life i think that the best piece of advice i've learned recently is uh discussion is not dialogue so you will never change anything if you debate it you have to be able to listen to what the other person has to say and be able to try and take it on and that's actually what i'm trying to do more in my business life is realize that you know i'm going to have different opinions from people and that that doesn't mean that i'm right or wrong or wrong okay rankin thank you very much for your time today hope you had fun it was good fun thank you here at mindset win we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests we will hear stories strategies tips and tricks told by leading names in sport and beyond who know what it takes to get to the very top there will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow search for mindset win on youtube and on your favorite podcast app next week on secret leaders if you create a business where you really say to people look here's the mission here's the context do your best and use your best judgment and be decent and you know you don't need that many rules we were intent on creating a business which you know had a social mission attracted people who wanted to fulfill that mission and use their common sense and were decent and behaved well That was Anne-Marie Huby, the co-founder of Just Giving, who went from working in the Congo with soldiers and gangs to founding the world's largest funding platform for donating to charitable causes with well over £4 billion donated through their site. If that sounds like a story you want to hear, then tune in or you'll miss out. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to us on iTunes or Spotify. Just search for Secret Leaders. You can also check out our website at secretleaders.com for show notes and behind the scenes of each interview. Hi, I'm Simon LaFosse, the founder of LaFosse Associates. We're a young, high-growth and co-owned business, and we're experts in attracting talent. If you want to build a great team, or you just want advice, please get in touch. We run free seminars, and we'd love to see you there. Thanks for your time. This episode was hosted by Dan Murray, produced by me, Rich Martell, edited by Harry Morton at Lower Street Media, and if you're hearing this, that's probably thanks to Jennifer Osman, our marketing whiz from Canada.